As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see this message. Welcome to Home Group. It's the beginning of the week, and I want to say thank you for letting us be a part of your week. And tonight, I am here with Paul Renner. Paul, welcome. I'm glad I get to be here tonight. I have missed Home Group. Well, where in the world have you been? I've been a little busy. I am a father of four, a husband, and I pastor the Moscow Good News Church, so sometimes I get a little busy. Well, I want to say you're doing a great job of pastoring the church with Bishop Rick. Thank you, and thank you for preaching right now in church. Hey, you know, I've really enjoyed it. It was a while since I've preached because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. but it's such a blessing to be back in the pulpit. Yesterday was really good. Yes. Hey, Joel, welcome to Home Group. Thank you, and Paul, I want to say thank you for taking your time, your busy time to be with us today. Oh, Joel, you're so kind. And dear home group, the truth is we're so grateful to be with you to yes. study the Bible together. And this week we're going to talk about strife. And tonight I'm going to share a story about how Denise and I learned to put an end to strife in our home. But the whole series is called Overcoming Strife. And you can get the download for free. Please go to renner.org and get the download. It's free. And we make it for you. Get everything in life that's free, my friend for you anyway. We would really love you to have it because you're part of home group. And every night this week, you can go through this with us. And it comes with the whole series. I was talking to my sister, Rhonda. And Rhonda watches the Daily TV program. And she said, Rick, you know, if you didn't have home group, I would feel like the Daily TV program just wasn't complete. She said, because you talk about the regular program in home group, she said, you get comments from other people and just, uh, just rounds it out and makes it so full. Rhonda, thank you for saying that. But anyway, we're glad you're with us tonight. But in the regular program, we're doing a whole series called Overcoming Strife. And guess what I teach in the beginning of every one of the programs? Because it's about strife. I'm standing on the Palace Square in St. Petersburg talking about the strife that led to the Russian Revolution in 1917. Ay, ay, ay. Our producer... He has created something so magnificent. You should not miss one of those programs. It's like the History Channel. It is so amazing. Anyway, it's really good. And we're also offering you right now this book called You Can Get Over It, How to Confront, Forgive, and Move On. Can I tell you guys something interesting about this book? And I'm going to tell you home group too. It's very interesting. Usually when we offer this book, few people respond. You know why? No. Because they want to hear about healing. They want to hear about the devil. They want to hear about those kinds of blessings. End times. End times. They love that. But when you talk about you can get over it, how to confront, forgive, and move on, people go, oh, I don't think I want to read that. But you know what? It's one of the best books I've ever written. And it's not a big book, which is rare for me. This book is amazing. It is amazing. I was just looking through this book. It is truly a treasure. And if you have any relationship in your life that is a challenge, this is a book that will really help you. So go online and order yours right now. And please remember that if you need prayer, we want to hear from you so we'll know how to pray. We really pray. And when we hear from you, we will really put our faith together with you for God to answer and to move in your life. Amen. But tonight we're talking about overcoming strife. Okay, I've printed notes for all of us. Paul, where are your notes? They're right here. All right, let's reach for our notes. Get my notes. I want you to reach for your Bible. And tonight we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. And in this verse, it says, Be angry and sin not. 
let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The New Living Translation says, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. I like that. Mm -hmm. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. But when it says, be ye angry and sin not, the word angry, the Greek word origizo, that's a really strong word. It depicts silent resentment that gives way to an outburst of emotion. Deeply felt anger suddenly released. I'm talking about a volcano. It is so unpleasant when you have been hit by the lava of someone's anger. Oh, when something explodes on you? It is so unpleasant. That is just humiliating. And you know what? It's not necessary. It's not necessary. Things can be discussed without that. It is unpleasant. It does not make the point. It just melts everybody down and it's just so unpleasant. And it takes days sometimes to get over that stuff. Well, sometimes even years. Yeah. It can depict a swelling, growing, wrathful emotion that explodes in rage. It's evil. And you know, it's just something we need to say no to. We just do not need to make room for this in our life. And it goes on to say, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Well, the word wrath is a compound of para and the Greek word orgidzo. The word para means alongside. Orgidzo is this silent resentment that explodes in rage or wrath. But when you compound the two words together, it is silent resentment or rage alongside of you. It's like it becomes a part of your life. You become a hub habitually somebody that just explodes and just vents on everybody else. And let me ask you, do you want anybody to do that to you? Would you find that acceptable if somebody did that to you? Of course you wouldn't. Well, then you need to say it's not acceptable for me to do it to others. And the next verse says, neither give place to the devil. The word place, the next verse, the very next verse. The word place is the Greek word topos. The word topos, topos is where you get the term for a topographical map. It describes a real, marked off, specific geographical location. You could translate it as an entry point used to donate, to donate, to, uh, to uh, denote an opportunity. It becomes a moment. It becomes a real moment, like a door opens. You've opened a window, you've opened a door, you've made room, you've given opportunity for the devil. And the word devil, the Greek word diabolos, depicts one who repetitiously strikes and strikes until successfully he penetrates an object in order to ruin it, affect it, or take it captive. The name devil means to slander, to accuse, or defame, to penetrate by continuous assault, to ensnare with a net. And you always know when the devil's working because you move out of Christian behavior and begin to behave really badly. You begin to accuse you begin to slander. You just need to know that when you begin to accuse and slander, the devil is at work. Mm -hmm. The slanderer is speaking through you. The accuser has gotten in the middle of that relationship and it results in strife. And the devil's intention is to penetrate, to get in the middle of you and somebody else and ruin everything. You, you just said something very interesting. The slanderer, the devil is speaking through you. He can. He speaks through your emotions. Through your emotions. Sometimes the devil, there's a spirit of strife that comes on, and all of a sudden you begin to say things that you, you didn't intend to say. You give in to something, and then later you're sorry for saying things that you said or saying things in a way that you wish you didn't say them. 
but you can stop that. You just have to be bold enough and attentive enough to stop those things even before they begin. Well, you have to decide you're not going to give place mm -hmm. to the devil. And for me and Denise and our family, we made a decision years ago that if we even start in that direction, we end the conversation. That's not a time to talk. The Bible says there's a time to embrace and there's a time not to embrace. And when you are really angry, that probably is a moment for you not to embrace. You need to back off, give a little space, allow God to deal with you and deal with somebody else and come back to the subject when it's a better time to talk. Joel? I really like the Bible verse, James 3.16, where it says, for wherever, wherever envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Every evil work where strife and envying is. Mm. That's so powerful. And every year in our Tulsa office, we tell the staff, this is a strife-free zone. We're not going to have it. We're not going to have strife in our work atmosphere. We don't want it in our lives because it brings division. And if we're divided, we're not going to make a lot of progress. So we just need to eliminate strife. And so many staff members in our office appreciate that there is no strife in our office. They've, they've told me about it. It's really interesting. And there won't be any strife in our office because we have a no strife policy. You know, this past week I was watching the news about the United States. It is so divided. It is so divided. And the Bible says a house divided cannot stand. Cannot stand. Division, strife, it corrupts, it ruins, it wastes, it trash, it destroys. Joel? And some might ask, well, how can, you have, how can you decide not to have strife? Well, you can just decide not to be strifeful. Not every matter has to be argued about. And if something does have to be discussed, it can be discussed respectfully. Okay, I want to tell how we developed a no-strife policy in our life. Many years ago, this was before Joel was born, but Paul and Philip were with us. And we were traveling by car, and we had a little tiny car. I mean tiny. We had so much luggage on the top of our car, the car looked taller than it was long, and we looked like the leaning tower of Pisa because the luggage kind of leaned. <laughs> I'd get up and strap all that luggage on there, and the trunk was so loaded. We had a typewriter. We had a tape duplicator. The back seat was so full, we'd have to say, is Paul really back there? <laughs> And this was before it was a law to have car seats. And so Denise had Philip in her lap. I mean, we were just in a tight, tight environment. And when you're in a tight environment like that, even if you're with people you love, you can kind of get in strife from time to time. It's just too close, too long. Well, Paul would not stay in his seatbelt. Oh, I just could not keep the guy in his seatbelt. I'd say, Paul, get in your seatbelt. He wouldn't do it. So I'd pull the car over, get out, put him in his seatbelt. By the time I got back in the driver's seat, he was out of his seatbelt. Have you ever had that experience? And Paul, you did it over and over and over and over. And one night after church, we were ministering in Washington State. I was so frustrated. I got strifeful because Paul would not stay in his seatbelt. And Philip was crying in the front seat on Denise's lap. And just it was just a bad moment. And I pulled up to a convenience store to give me a cup of coffee and just to get out of the car. And, of course, Paul was not in his seatbelt. So I got me a big cup of coffee and came back out to the car. And when I saw that Paul was not in his seatbelt, I was just at my wit's end. And I noticed there was a police car sitting there. And there was a police just sitting in it. 
I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask for a little help. So I went over to that window and he rolled his window down and I said, officer, I have a request. He said, well, what is it? I said, I have a challenge. I have a little boy in the back seat that will not stay in his seatbelt. Could you please help me? He said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, would you come tell my little boy he's going to be arrested if he doesn't stay in his seatbelt? <laughs> and he started laughing. He said, oh, I would love to help you. He came over to our car. He put his foot up on the rim of the car and leaned over on his knee and took out his gun and tapped it against his leg. <laughs> and he's a little boy. Do you know what happens to little boys that don't stay in their seatbelts? Paul, was, his eyes were like this. So Paul put on his seatbelt. Ah, victory, Paul's in this seatbelt. But there was such a spirit of strife in our car. And I put that cup of coffee in my little coffee holder between me and Denise. Well, the car was so tight, our hips were nearly joined. She's got Philip in her lap. We're driving down the road. Ah, strife. Yeah, strife is a spirit. It was in the car. And Philip reached over. He was an infant and put his entire hand into the piping hot coffee. And you guys didn't notice this? No, we knew he did it because he started screaming. But the car was dark and there were no street lights because we were out in the country. So we didn't realize how badly he was burned. He cried and cried and screamed and screamed and screamed. And we finally stopped the car and turned on the light. The coffee was so hot, it literally melted the skin off of his hand, and the bottom skin of his hand was laying on his arm. It slid off and was laying on his arm. Denise and I were horrified. So we drove to an emergency room. It's been quite a night. This is all after church. So we get to the emergency room. We walked in, and God is so good. The chief nurse in that emergency room had been in our service that night. She'd come to work. She said, what are you doing here? She saw Philip. Philip's hand was so burned that on that particular ministry trip, every day, every day on that trip, we had to find an emergency room for them to cut off all the dead skin. Paul, do you remember it? I remember going to the emergency room. Now, I do not remember the policeman, so there's no trauma there. Uh, I do not remember Philip getting his hand burned, but I do remember going to the emergency room and the nurse, she took one of those gloves and I think the gloves, they used to be thinner back then, that she blew in it like a balloon. She did. And I had this balloon-like glove. Great, we have a tragedy and you're think remembering a balloon. <laughs> And then we went to each emergency room. I wanted to get a balloon glove. That's what I remember. Well, Denise and I would watch as the emergency room workers every day in a different city, literally, would take scissors and would cut off that dead skin from Philip's hand, cover his hand with all kinds of lotion, wrap him back up. And the next day we'd do it again and again and again and again and again. And praise God, Philip's hand was okay. But that's when we realized how detrimental is the spirit of strife. That thing was opened by us. The devil came in because there was strife in our car. And Denise and I made a decision at that time in our life to have a no strife policy. And we've lived by it. Is it true? Yes, it is. And we don't have strife. For example, if Denise and I are, have an uncomfortable moment with each other, we just stop participating. We just back away from it. It's not the right time to talk because we don't allow strife. I don't have strife with my kids. 
We don't have strife with anybody in our office. We don't have strife with anybody in our ministry. We have a no strife policy. And even when people are hired to come to work in our ministry, they have to sign a commitment that they will not participate in strife. And if anybody participates in strife, they're out the door because we do not allow strife in our office. Strife is a door opener. It's a door opener. And I just made a decision years ago, I'm not going to partner with strife. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, strife, is, strife is not going to be a part of my life, our family, or our ministry. Joel? I just think it's wonderful, and I'm glad you guys learned that lesson early on. That way you guys could deal with it throughout your lives. Paul, were you wanting to say something? Well, this verse says, be angry and sin not. I have a very recent example. Just this morning, I was listening to the radio, and someone filmed a bus driver yelling at a passenger. This bus driver was just yelling and yelling and yelling at the very, very top of his voice, and he just got angrier and angrier and angrier at this passenger uh, because he wanted the passenger to get off the bus. Was that in Moscow? Just recently in Moscow. Uh, And on the next day, the bus driver was fired for yelling at a passenger. Now, perhaps there was a reason, but that doesn't really matter anymore. (laughs) He gave room to his anger, and the result was bad for him. Mm-hmm. He got fired. Mm-hmm. When you give room to your anger, it's only going to get worse. Well, it's not going to get better. All right, Paul, you have four kids. You have two. I've had three, me and mom. What would you do if your kids just unleashed and melted down like a volcanic eruption to everybody in the house? Would you say, that's okay, it happens? <laughs> I have another very recent example just from this morning. Okay. Okay, so I'm taking my kids to school, all four of them. And my two younger children, they got in the car first. And they got into an argument over where to sit in the car. (laughs) Okay. Very, very important. Very, very important. Very, very important. But you know, most strife-filled things are like that. Yes. Uh, Now, usually I don't get involved in where to sit in the car. I, I think we should be a little more mature than to argue about where to sit in the car. But for them, today, that was important. They ended up yelling at each other. Now, I wasn't in the car yet. I was on the second floor. The car was in the garage. The doors to the car were shut. And from the second floor, I could hear them yelling in the car. So I came down to the garage, opened the car. What's going on, guys? Abby was crying. Cohen was upset. So, okay. So first, I divided them. We need to get them a little bit further from each other. And then I begin to talk to them. What happened? Abby tells me her story, and then Cohen tells me his story, and they're both in trouble because they, they, both were, they were both wrong. Well, specifically Abby, she was the one doing the yelling, my youngest daughter. She was the one doing the yelling. And when we were little, for speaking bad to each other, we had to wash our mouth with soap. I was just thinking about it, Paul. Yes, because when you say bad things or dirty words, obviously your mouth is dirty, so you need to wash your mouth. Okay, hold on, hold on. We're not abusers, but we wanted to really teach our sons when they were young that we have a no-strife policy. And when you begin to speak unkind words to each other, you have a dirty mouth. So all three of our boys have been taken into the bathroom and a bar of soap have been put into their mouth. And I'm saying nothing's more disgusting than soap. You know what I was thinking about recently? Let me finish. And I said, you know what? Your mouth is so dirty. We're going to help you. Mm-hmm. We're going to wash that <laughs> mouth out. 
<laughs> you can get those dirty words out of your mouth. Did it hurt you guys? No, it did not hurt, but it's a very good lesson. Wait, I, Joel. I was thinking recently about Miriam in Moses and how she she was not, seems like she had a problem with her speech. She did. God said it. Because God said if her father would have disciplined her, this would not be happening. Yeah, she was disrespectful because her parents didn't discipline her. So it sounds like to me if, if, her, hus if her father would have washed her mouth out with soap, maybe she wouldn't have been... Now, we're not encouraging you to wash your child's mouth out with soap. We're not doing that. Paul's just telling you something, that an incident that happened with all three of our sons on more than one occasion. Yes. And, and by the way, my mother washed my mouth out with soap. Well, you Hey, know. you know what? If, if your parents ever washed your mouth out with soap, write it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so much fun. Okay. So apparently, this is generational now. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my dad, my father's mouth was washed with soap. My mouth was washed with soap, and my children's mouths have been washed with soap several times. Uh, I think it would be very humorous to see them do it when they become parents. But it's it's it really helps because it's a very simple way to cool down a situation. Because they're actually, and I've said this several times in home group, uh, sometimes. Uh, especially younger people today, seem to think that there are no consequences in life. There are actually consequences in life. We live in a world of sowing and reaping. If you do something good, something good will happen to you. If you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. We live in a world of sowing and reaping, and there are consequences in life. And when your children are young, it's best to teach them that there are consequences in life so that later on in life, they can adjust their behavior to not get bad consequences. It's pretty simple. Well, just like you want your children to have boundaries yes. and you want your children to be civil with each other when you become adults, if you expect that of children, then shouldn't you expect that of yourself? Even more so. And if you are a person or you have somebody in your home or you work with that is tempted to explode and just be ugly, draw boundaries. Mm -hmm. Say, you know what? That's unacceptable. I don't do that. And you're not going to do that with me. Back off doesn't mean you don't love them. It really means you're loving them. You're not going to enter into the fray. You're just choosing not to do it. Words can heal and words can kill. Mm -hmm. Joel? I have a question. Yes, sir. Why does it seem like sometimes you get upset at people that are closest to you? But people who are, you know, like a working relationship, you can, you can control yourself. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why do you get upset at people closest to you? I think because you have a high expectation of them. They're, they're in your family. You have a very high expectation of them. And that's why we need to be kind and compassionate. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But you're also more vulnerable. With people that you are not open to, you're, you're kind of guarded towards. But with people closer to you, you're more vulnerable. And so something that they do could be more hurtful than but, someone that's at a distance. But let me give you a scripture that will help you. Psalm 103 says, God pities us because he knows we're made of dust. Well, you really can't expect a lot of dirt. And when people get really ugly with me or if people behave ugly, what has really helped me diffuse it with me is to say, you know what? We all behave like dirt sometimes. Mm -hmm. This is just dust. And you've said it several times. If they actually knew what, what they, they were, were doing, doing, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't be doing it. And that has saved me. It's been like Teflon. It just doesn't stick to me because I have convinced myself 
that people that are born again, if they really knew what they sounded like, if they really knew what they were saying and how hurtful their words were, the Spirit of God in them and their heart, they would not be doing what they're doing. They don't realize what they're doing. But you can't change them, but you can make a decision though you're not going to enter into strife. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about overcoming strife. You can say, pause, need to take a break, and come back to it later. And when you come back to it later, you'll be different. They'll be different too, but we're out of time. But hey, this has been really fun, but we'll be back tomorrow night, and we're going to continue right here. It's going to be good. See you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please like, subscribe, and comment so more people can see it.